Maybe I should preach out of that, but I've got Isaiah 9, so we might as well start in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus puts the life in living. More and more every day as, the, um, as uh, we see darkness and disappointment around us, we're reminded that His light never stops shining. And wherever you are in Him, that's where, that, that's where that brightness, that's where that joy is. And you bring it, praise the Lord, wherever you go. And uh, if you're one of those Christians that likes to let their light shine, let me tell you, we need you today. Praise God. We need you today. Isaiah chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us. Everyone say, unto us. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You know, when the heavens broke open over the manger where... Jesus, as a babe, was born. They filled the skies with celebration and rejoicing, and they were announcing God's gift to the world. Not our gift to Him, but His gift to us. And they announced it saying, Unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah saw the same scene, and he said, Unto us a son is given. A son is given to you and I. You know, <clears throat> mankind needed a son, didn't we? We needed a son. We've always been looking for sons. We've been looking for, we look for them in our heroes. We look for them in explorers. We look for sons in uh, social and political leaders, always hoping that that son that came out from us, that we can identify with, that, that represents us, is going to connect with the promised land. And through our son, we'll have that connection. And, you know, I think that happens in small ways sometimes in life. Um, our sons grow and go out, and they do well, and we're blessed by the bounty or the, the wellness. But humanity has never produced a son that really could meet our real true need. All of our sons turn out like us. All of our sons eventually turn into us. And even the best of them, the best of us, are sinners and we fall short. And... Humanity is lost in darkness. I know there's a lot of good things in the world. There's a lot to celebrate. But if you watch or are a student of history or you go through life with your eyes open, you notice there is this thing, this trend. Everything that shines eventually tarnishes. Everything spins slowly down and dies. And eventually the lights go out on every party. It's just the way it is. I don't want to wax overly philosophical, but 
Humanity needed a son. We needed a son that could, could bring us back to God. We needed a son that was produced by the blood covenant. I spent a great deal of this year teaching on the blood covenant. And 2,000 years before Jesus was born, that, that birth in the manger that we celebrate today, um, 2,000 years before that, almost in the same spot in a similar location on a mountain that now is the home of the temple in, of Jerusalem called Mount Moriah, a man who God made a blood covenant with, God entered into an agreement with a man named Abraham, the first man that God drew into this kind of relationship. And he formed this blood covenant that bound them together in oneness. It was unable to be broken. It was irreversible. And that's why it was symbolized by the two halves of an animal, like a heifer, because those two halves represented the two parties brought together into oneness. God wanted to make a new creation, a new being. The blood covenant was all about producing a son, the son that neither Adam or Eve or any other set of parents right down to today would ever be able to produce on their own. And so Abraham enters into that covenant and God promises him to bring forth a son. He will be a son of the blood covenant. And the two parties brought together will be God and man, brought together in unison. And Abraham thinks, quite naturally, well, when God tells him in Genesis 15, meet with me, I'm calling you to walk before me and be mature and be perfect and to be upright, and I'm going to make my covenant with you. In fact, when I make it, my covenant will be between you and me. But Abraham represents not just himself, and he doesn't just represent his descendants, he represents the whole world, a covenant for all people. And that's why the angel that appeared above Bethlehem said, this shall be a sign to all people. This is a blessing for all people. Peace on earth. So up on Mount Moriah, God had told uh, Abraham, once he finally has that miracle son, and I can't take the time to talk about how that boy Isaac was a miracle, but he was. Abraham loved him dearly. He was his only son. And God said, I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and offer him to me. And so up Mount Moriah, Abraham goes with his son. And you know the story. Just before he offers him up, the voice of God speaks. Abraham, Abraham, and stops him. And the Lord says, I have provided myself a sacrifice, or I've provided a sacrifice for myself. I think if we were to put it in modern terms and we were to understand that offering, that offering was what the Bible calls an ola, O-L-A-H, or a burnt offering. You might think that the ola or the burnt offering was an offering for sin, an offering that washed away or wiped out sin. But the ola or the, the, the burnt offering was a a unique and a different kind of an offering. It was basically an offering that expressed our intention to please God. And they would have those olas, if you will, 
morning and evening. Once they started the sacrificial system, many years later in Israel, they had the burnt offerings daily. Every day, God's people were to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm here and I want to please you in this day. I, I want you to um, take me in your favor. And I know that I'm sin-stained. And I know that I'm imperfect. And I know that you are perfect. And I know that there is a breach between us. But in my offering, I'm expressing my intention. I'm putting my emotion and my heart, my affection, and my desire into this offering. That was the kind of offering that God said to Abraham, I want you to offer your son as an Ola offering, as a burnt offering. And Abraham was going to do it until God stopped him. And basically, I think that God stops him because God is both righteous and human sacrifice is absolutely sinful. God made perfectly clear in stopping him that the sacrificing of any sinner to wipe out sin was itself a sin before God. And God is also practical. He's practical, and I think God in his great love was saying to Abraham, I accept your heartfelt gesture of faith, but you need a better son. This one just isn't going to do. You need a better son to offer, and I will provide him. 2,000 years went by, but when that son was born, Jesus enters history and changes the world forever. When Jesus was born, there was a commitment made on God that was irreversible. And Jesus was absolutely going to go through with it. There was no doubt at any time that Jesus was going to succeed all the way to the cross. He absolutely was going to lay his life down. He was born crucified, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But everything changed when Jesus Christ came into the world because he is that son that we need. The point that I want to make to you before I go any further with this is the phrase, unto you a son is given. We always think of Jesus as the son of God. But do you ever think of him as our son? He is our son. He is the son of humanity. He is the perfect son that we needed to give birth to all along. And God said, I will be your son. That's who Jesus is. He is the I am. He is the eternal God in essence. And this might stretch your theology a little bit. But in essence, Jesus is the eternal I am, the creator the one who spoke to Moses and parted the Red Sea, revealed himself to the prophets, made the world and spoke it into existence. He is that God saying, I'm coming and I will be your son. But that son born will be yours to do with as you will. And we did do with him as we will. And Jesus came to be our son. Everything that he is belongs to us. 
by virtue of the fact that he is human, 100% human and 100% God. And so God sends his son because we needed a better son. And this son is absolutely does it for us. Praise the Lord. He is offered one time for all, the Bible says. Just once, Jesus is offered, and of course we know that death cannot hold him. The grave expels him, and he rises up, and that one offering is offered one time. Think about it. Jesus' offering of himself says forever to the Father, I want you, I love you, my life is given to you. That's why when we worship the Father in the name of Jesus, there's no better way for you and I to say, my heart wants you. I worship in Jesus' name. My intention is to worship you with my whole being. And he is the son of God's love. Because the whole reason behind all of this was the fact that God loved us. Would have been so easy if God would have been more like us in our fallen state, he would have just written us off. But he didn't. In fact, from the beginning, God planned the redemption, planned and created us after the image of that Lamb of God. So because the Son that God sent is human, sinners are able to receive him into their hearts because there, there is a like nature, connection. And because he is divine, God is able to receive sinners into his heart as his children. And so Jesus really is that son produced by the blood covenant. And whoever receives him receives wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the Prince of Peace. Think with me about that. Imagine your son, born from your loins, goes out and comes back and brings you the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I mean, we get excited at the thought that one of our sons will go out and become a multimillionaire. And we, we can all quit our jobs. We don't have to try to keep those old clunkers going and... Uh, you know, someone can cut the grass for us. And all of a sudden, all kinds of worries. And if we need any medical attention, we'll have the best of doctors. Life dramatically changes if one of our sons goes out and brings home the bacon. So God said, here is the son that you need. Here with him is all of the wonderful counsel you will ever need. Think about that for a moment. The word wonderful used to describe wonderful counselor is the same word used for miracle. The miraculous counselor, in other words, when God gives you advice, he is able to miraculously fulfill it in your life. Do you need something wonderful going on in your life today? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you could say, boy, I could use something wonderful right about now in my life. You see, when you have the sun, hopelessness is ransacked. Every dead end has a way out. And every sinner has a right to believe that God loves them. So what is more wonderful than that? 
no dead ends, no hopelessness, and God loves me. I mean, the only way I can mess that up is to say, I don't want the son. I'm not interested. The only way <clears throat> you can mess up that wonderful counsel that God brings. And you know, when you have the son as your counselor, you have much more than an advisor. You have the way maker. You know, when God gives advice, it's not like worldly counsel. Worldly counsel says, don't go to the Red Sea. You won't be able to get across. And the Egyptians are going to go this way. When you go to advisors or counselors, they are counseling you trying to find the best way out there in the world. They are out there looking at circumstances and situations and trying to find out how you can navigate best through those. And sometimes the counselors, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, you're stuck. I can't help you. I don't really know how to get you out of this situation. But when God advises you, he advises you from the standpoint of being the way maker. He doesn't care that there's a Red Sea. He, his, advice, his advice to the disciples wasn't to cross the Lake of Galilee because the weather was supposed to be good. But his advice to cross the sea, he counseled them to get in the boat and go to the other side because he's the storm killer. He's the, he's the storm calmer. Hallelujah. So could you use the wonderful counselor? Think about it. Think of the wonderful stories. Think of uh, Jehoshaphat about to be annihilated by three invading armies and all of Israel wiped out under his watch. And yet God says, send the praise team out. And God somehow makes them, his enemies, all kill one another. And the praise team and the soldier's job that day, actually for the next three days, was collecting up all the gold and the silver and getting all those cars and chariots and horses and dragging them back home with them. That was their job. I mean, I could use a wonderful counselor like that. How about you? When you have the sun, when you have the sun, and you're locked in life's struggles, always remember that because you have the sun, you have the door to every battle that you're in. Even if it's not your fault. Even if it is your fault. In every struggle, in every battle of life, you have the door that you can open up for the mighty God to step onto your battlefield. Psalm 24, 7 and 8, one of my favorites says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Listen, who is the gate of your house and the door if not you? In your life, where is the door? Why is Jesus knocking on the door? Why, if he's the door to your life, why isn't he just barging and letting himself in? You and I are the gate and the door to everything in our life. We can't control what comes at us, but your life is a door, and you can open that, and the Bible says the king of glory shall come in. When you 
come to the Lord, when you pour your heart out, when you're sincere, when Jesus is truly the thing that you want in your life, above everything, the Bible says, lift your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. And then the rhetorical question, who is this King of glory? Well, God's right there with the answer. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So if you open the door, you let in that King of glory. How do, I, how do I get to the place that David was in when he stood before Goliath? I don't know if I can have that kind of courage. The Bible says what you need is a son, someone you can love, someone you can take into your house, someone you can invite to the table. Hallelujah. You don't have to get up once a week and get all put together and come down to church to meet with him. If he's a son, take him home with you. If he's a son, let him love you. If he's a son, talk to him like you guys live together in the same family. Are you listening to me? So how do I get the mighty God to step into the battlefields of my life? I give you the son. Hallelujah. Treat him as a son, as your son, and lift him up and you have received the king of glory. Quickly, when you have the son, you have the everlasting father. This is my favorite. Jesus looks to Philip, who's in total confusion at the Last Supper, because Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to come. I'm going to be away, but I'm going to be with you, and the Holy Spirit's going to be here. And their heads are just swimming. And he's been talking about the Father, and they know he's... he's He's talking about Yahweh. He's talking about the I am. But then he's talking about me and my father are one. And he says to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You see, God didn't hold anything back of himself. In the son, we have all the fullness of the Godhead, Colossians says, offered to us. He's not an ambassador of the Father. He's not a messenger of the Father. And the word son, don't let it trip you up. He's not a son in the sense that God birthed him and he's a separate being. He is the eternal I am of God inserted into creation, into history at the right time, coming to us as a son so that we can connect to use a popular phrase. He comes with that human connectivity. And so when you have the Son, you have an everlasting Father who will never leave you when you've fallen down. And He will be with you when you're in trouble. That's what a dad is. Hallelujah. You're safe to make mistakes around your Father. He's going to correct you, but he's not going to kick you out. He's not going to abandon you. In fact, he loves you. And when you want to give up on yourself, he'll be talking you in to getting back up on your feet and going back at it. It's all right, son. I'm with you. Get back out there. I'm with you. You can make it. That's the father. He's not criticizing you when you talk stupid. 
Thank God. He's not belittling you. Some of us have had earthly fathers that almost ruined it forever becoming a real Christian because we just could not imagine what it was like to have a full, mature man as a father loves us as a loving dad. Isn't that awesome? But believe it, you men and women out there this morning, if you have been the son or the daughter of an earthly father who never really did love you, believe this, that when you receive Jesus, he'll teach you all about your heavenly dad and how your heavenly dad loves you. And finally, when you have the son, you have the prince of peace, the peace that the world cannot give you. We're in struggle and strife because of a thing called sin. Don't let anybody ever fool you or kid you. At the root of every human conflict is a thing called sin. It is what has broken down our nature and the world we live in is rooted in that sin. And until that is undone and uprooted and removed and Jesus' kingdom is physically manifest in this world, and that's why God's planted his kingdom in our heart. But until that time comes, we live in a world that is fraught with confrontation and struggle and strife. And at the root of all of them is a thing called sin. The world can't give you peace because the world is at war with itself. Life cannot bring you peace because life is at war with itself. Only the Prince of Peace with his precious blood that, that washes away sins and sends the Holy Spirit to give new life. Only he can make a son or a daughter out of a former sinner. Somebody say praise the Lord. So when you have the son, you have the prince of peace. That's why Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not like the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. As we prepare our hearts to come to the altar today before the Father and respond, what should I do? We need a son. What? What's the right response? What is my response? God has handed us our son. And when you have the son, you have no better advocate for the needs of mankind than Jesus himself. No purpose more fulfilling than his mission. No pursuit more rewarding than his will. No self-awareness that you can experience that's more liberating than his love for you. His truth liberates hopeless captives. His wisdom dwarfs the foolishness of intellectuals. His purposes lift common people to noble heights. His presence dissolves bonds and afflictions. And his commands lift followers above their limitations and abilities. He loves you in spite of you. He forgives you when it's your fault. He calls you back when you try to run away, and He helps you when nobody else wants to. If the wisest philosophers and greatest authors of all time collaborated to create the story of the perfect man, the perfect son, they could not create Jesus, the Son given to us. His character exceeds human imagination. 
for all the broken and lost, for all of the humbled and seeking, God sent us the Son. He who calmed the storms, raised the dead, forgave the harlot, healed the blind, and gives faith to all who seek him. Unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Don't leave today without the Son. Amen. Stand with me this morning. In the gift of the Son to us, God held nothing back. In fact, everything, not only that the world needs today, everything that you need, everything we will ever need for eternity is invested in the Son. I share just a few things that highlight those, but I'll bet if you try and come up with a need, a problem that you think God can't solve or a need He can't meet, I can come up with an answer in God's Word to show that Jesus is that provision.